Hello, and welcome back to our 13th episode of Opportunity Thrives, where we are committed to better supporting the needs of today's secondary students through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers. We want to understand what's working in our schools today, what's not, and how we can impact positive and lasting change. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions on our show. Please click in the podcast notes to leave us a review, to provide your input, or to send us any questions. You can also reach out to us at info at opportunitythrives.com. Today, we are looking forward to having a conversation with two education equity leaders. The past several weeks have called for an overhaul in how our education system addresses race and how we ensure that we are providing equitable opportunities for all students. Let's take a look at what this means for our educators and from a practical perspective, how districts can begin to implement some of these changes. Our first guest is Shamari Jones, the Director of Equity and Strategic Engagement for the Bellevue School District in Bellevue, Washington. Shamari is charged with researching, analyzing, developing initiatives, and coordinating strategies to ensure that each and every student has an opportunity to succeed at the Bellevue School District. He was recently recognized as a leader to learn from by Education Week. Welcome, Shamari. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Diana Marshall is also with us today. She's the Director of Equity and Student Achievement at the San Juan Unified School District in Carmichael, California. She oversees several projects within the Local Control Accountability Plan, including student mentoring of specific populations of students, cultural and proficiency training for all employees, student voice and advocacy, creating positive school climate for all students, and increasing diversity in the workforce. She facilitates the Equity Task Force, which has been charged with identifying barriers that limit access to programs and services, and then challenge those barriers. She also helps to identify opportunities to expand access. Additionally, she facilitates the Equity Community Collaborative, which focuses on partnerships between the district and community organizations to support students in a strategic and aligned systemic approach. Welcome, Diana. Thank you. Very happy to be here. I'm sure both of you have been incredibly busy in the past month. With COVID-19 creating a major challenge for districts, it has also illuminated major equity disparities. In addition to that, we've also seen recent civil unrest. In this rapidly changing landscape, equitable access for students has become one of the top priorities for school administrators nationwide. So thanks to both of you for taking a few minutes of your very busy time to be with us today. Could could each of you start with sharing a little bit more about your districts, maybe uh, how many students are enrolled, what your graduation rate looks like, and maybe something about some of the students that you support through your equity efforts. Shamari, do you want to kick us off? Absolutely. So here in Bellevue, Washington, which is just outside of Seattle by about 10 miles, uh, we're a very multiculturally diverse school district, and we have a unique demographic, one that is not normally one you'd see Uh, in most school districts across the country. We're at approximately 20,000 students in our district and our racial makeup is broken down by our largest uh, racial group being our Asian students and family population at about 42%, our white families and students next at 33%, and then much lower are the remaining subgroups, racial subgroups, Hispanic, Latino at 13, our multi-ethnic group at nine, and our black group at three percent. Currently, graduation has held really steady over the past several years. Past year was at 94 percent, 
And as far as uh, student-specific programming that I have been involved in and, and or have created myself focused on our Black and Brown students in particular with regard to Black student unions, Latino student unions, groups or teams of students in varying schools uh, labeled as Students Organized Against Racism. And also I, I initiated and host an annual conference for our Black and Brown and Indigenous students called Boom and Shout. Uh, boom being for our young men, uh, grade seven through 12, shout for our young ladies, same demographic and same aid and grade range. But I also like to add that um, a really important factor in the body of work that I do that uh, walks right alongside uh, the student portion of what I just uh, presented is our family engagement strategy. And I think that, you know, uh, as we'll get into uh, some conversation later on in the show, uh, we'll have some overlapping conversation about the importance of ensuring that the families are as connected to what's happening in the lives of their students as the students are themselves. So thanks for the opportunity again. And uh, I'll move on to uh, Diana. All right. Diana, how about from your perspective? Tell us a little bit about San Juan Unified School District. So San Juan Unified School District is actually in the suburbs of Sacramento, California. So that's where you get the Carmichael area. One of the interesting facts around San Juan is that it actually covers 75 square miles of space. So it's a very large space and it um, really is part of, it's part urban, part suburbia, and then actually part rural. So just a rural mixture. Our diversity is as expansive as, as the locations um, so currently we are at um, right around 7% 7, 7 African-American, 23% Latino, um, about 20% Asian. And then our fastest growing population is our Middle Eastern refugee population. We are one of the, the districts that have the highest number of refugees coming into our families from the Middle East. So just really looking at many groups of populations of students to make sure that their needs are met. I think your part two of your question is, what are some of the students that, that we specifically su support? And I think as we look at our data, one of the things that we really focus on is um, rates of disproportionality. So if we're looking at suspension, clearly in our suspension rates, our African-American students and even going down to our African-American boys are being home suspended three times higher than our all group when we look at our all or our white population. So why what, what is creating that within our system that is, is having that outcome? And, it, and it's not looking at the student, but looking at the institution and what are the practices and policies that create that. Um, again, we've been looking at our students with disabilities and their achievement rate. For foster youth students, we've um, really focused on foster youth around suspension rates, graduation rates, and achievement rates. So all of those, depending on where different groups fall in the disproportionality is where we have a tendency to focus. And I think another key piece to really look at this is when you start bringing in the in intersection of those different disproportionate rates. So if you 
For example, right now, if you're looking at our African-American boys and we're looking at suspensions, and then if we bring in students with disabilities who are African-American and males, that suspension rate actually goes to, uh, instead of three times, it actually goes to five times the rate of suspension. So those are things that we're concerned about and what we can do within the system to start changing our practices to decrease that disproportionality. Great. Uh, Both of you are are tackling these problems from different perspectives, and and I really appreciate the work that you're attending to. We've heard many people talk about this as being a tipping point for education and ensuring that every student has an equal opportunity to succeed. And I know that there's a lot of ways that you can go about this. So what do each of you see as top priorities for making real and lasting change within equity in education? And Diana, you were talking about intersections and intersectionality. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go ahead and and continue on that with this question? I, I think when I think about the tipping point, especially right now in in our climate and environment and the social unrest, I think as equity departments, we really need to seize on the opportunity right now and really start building capacity as fast as we can move it. People are searching for how they can help. And we need to be ready to to move on that in a vault, in a very multi-tiered approach. There's no silver bullet to this work, right? Because if there was a silver bullet, that would have been that would have happened 400 years ago. So how how do we continue on multiple steps? Whether we're we're looking at culture and how to continue um, improving our welcoming, our sense of belonging. How do we look at our structures within the system and break down the institutional racism that occurs in with the system? I think what Shamari said around emp- empowering our families and our youth and how, how we bring them in to help co-create our, our solutions. And then another big topic that we're working on is really um, integrating social ju- justice curriculum, uh, social justice standards into our content curriculum um, from preschool all the way to adult. Wow. All right. So Shamari, from, from, from your perspective, what are some of the top priorities for you and your school district to make real and lasting change? I think, Jason, one of the things that uh, is at the very top of my list, and I have the fortune and opportunity to uh, contribute to quite consistently, is policy transformation, the investigation of even just the structural norms that are held that continue to support the the distance that our students and families are experiencing from being or maintaining that wholeness and that thrival. So we want to make sure that we, in fact, have several policies a year that we not just investigate, but we utilize our community partners, our parents and our students, our stakeholders to look at through their critical lens and help to try to transform in the best interest of all. We also look at evaluations. You know, this is a big sticking point uh, in the experience that I've had in this type of role. It is we set forth an agenda or a goal, but how are we actually evaluating that change occurring? How are we transitioning and transforming the standards at which we hold 
uh, our leadership as well as our frontline staff, our teachers, etc., cetera, uh, to ensuring that the practices that they are engaged in are ones that are in service of the students that are right there in front of their faces. And some of that is going to take, you know, right back to what Diana was talking about, lots of partnerships and tremendous amounts of communication with our families. We've learned through COVID um, that there are so many families that are extremely far from justice merely because they don't have the functional expertise around some of the technology we're providing and they are not getting the information that many others are receiving. And so how can they be a critical partner if they're not really at the table? Uh, translation is a really big thing and it's our responsibility and our obligation to ensure that parents not only get the information, but they can understand it. And, you know, something that is on the minds of a lot of school districts across our country is how do we staff our organization with individuals that look like our students? You know, we can have aggressive plans as much as we want to get the, the, the teachers in the classrooms that we need, um, but we need to hold ourselves accountable to take in, you know, measures that are unique and outside of the norm to make sure that that does happen. Last thing I'd add is resources. You know, many of our districts have hundreds of millions of dollars worth of budget that are allocated to things that are important, but do we always align our expenses to our greatest needs? You know, and so we really have to investigate deeply our spending practices and are those spending practices geared towards aligning to the policies that we're transforming and setting towards uh, serving our students. Excellent. So we started off looking at the bigger picture and let's get a little, little bit more granular. I think on the on the bigger picture, you all identified some overarching topics, things like family engagement, uh, disproportionality, ec- equity of access and information, even budget alignment specifically, and maybe even more tactical in nature. What are your districts doing to tackle these issues? And Shamari, do you want to pick up where you left off? Yeah, sure. You know, I think that there's a um, pretty considerable amount of developing of our staff that needs to happen. And that's through PD, that's through coaching, and that's through evaluation. And uh, we've got the PD thing down. You know, I um, I am a firm believer that PD can help only so much if it's not aligned specifically to an expected outcome and some sort of evaluation that's tied to that. And so we're looking at new practices presently to transform our standards of evaluation. We're partnering with our a school union to ensure that they are on board with what we as the district team need in order to have the right staff in the right seats. I think that, you know, one of the one of the bodies of work that I oversee presently as of the last maybe couple of years or so now is family engagement. And we have a really robust family engagement team uh, and we do everything from serving families and supporting them with their basic needs to providing workshops and seminars to sort of move them along the continuum of understanding the system that they've come into. We provide them access and support uh, as they seek to try to transform the things that do not work for them. We ask them to the table uh, when we are changing those policies and practices. Uh, We have a great new uh, system that we are using for translation. It's going to be much simpler for us to get to the families that haven't normally been communicated with very effectively. And we do have a strong campaign towards increasing and enhancing our staff of color within our district. It is not uh, where any of us would like it to be, but uh, if compared to state standards, we're doing pretty good, but we have a whole long way to go. And there's a plethora of other things. I'll 
defer to Diana, but um, we've we've got a lot happening. The bottom line here, uh, outside of just the doing, is whether or not it's impactful and whether or not it's effective. And so, you know, uh, we're currently surveying our staff, stakeholders, and community around these past couple of years and whether or not the things we've put in place are the ones that are working for their stakeholders. Great. I think that's a, a, you can see a full systemic approach on that. Diana, what about in San Juan? Tactically, I, what are you all doing? So first, I just want to touch on what Shamari said around the evaluation of initiatives or projects, right? I think we just did eight list Zoom listening sessions that had anywhere from 150 community members to 300. And um, that was something that was clear. That was one of the top themes that came out of that is that we really need to evaluate thoroughly the effectiveness of the programs or initiatives that we put in. So that's one of the areas. Another clear message that we've heard and I think it goes with what Shamari was saying around evaluation, and it's taking a slightly different angle or lens to it, is this idea of accountability for all around our um, beliefs and how we treat each other, is that we're really looking at a more thoughtful approach of when discrimination or racist acts or microaggressions occur, that we have a process. I mean, and this is like not as far as like a discrimination Title IX thing, but something more on the informal basis so we can really learn from our experiences or our mistakes, right? So trying to set that up to have courageous conversations, have um, compassionate dialogue, and, and really start learning through situations around what our new normal really should be. I, I agree with Shamari around professional development. It has to go past just the trainings, but into coaching and real, and so we're looking at creating equity teams at the site level and training them to be those coaches as, as school sites um, continue to develop and increase their intensity into this work. I could go on. There's, there's a very long list of actions we're taking, but those are just some examples. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, I'm 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 sure uh, I I was reading your your biography, and there there was definitely a lot of work that uh, your district seems to be doing. Yeah, uh, with our uh, department of two. <laughs> wow! Right? I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. We're small but mighty. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and both of you are known to be leaders and innovators in your respective fields, and I think we have a lot to learn from both of you. So, how can other districts ap apply some of the, the practices that you've enunciated today. And in through your experience and expertise, do you have any lessons that you've learned or best practices that you can share? And uh, Diana, do you want to um, go ahead and start? Sure. I, um, you know, I think I have really have gone to this place of really understanding the idea of what cultural humility is 
and that we all need to be constantly in this lifelong learner around equitable practices. And then with that, to really learn how to co-create. And I think that's very different than the term that we use of collaborate, but really including all stakeholders and getting comfortable with truly co-creating that we're asking our teachers to become facilitators of student learning. I think we as as, um, leaders of the district have to learn how to become facilitators of the creation of initiatives or projects as well. I think we really need to model that. I do. I, I think we have to really beware of the ecosystem that we work in and, uh, and understand when cracks occur in the wall of status quo. I, I call it the wall of status quo. When there's a crack that opens, understanding how to use that as an opportunity and using your relationships and influence to help create that change. That, that's pretty general. I apologize <laughs> for that, Jason. No, no, no. It, it, it's great. I think it's it's really important to talk about things like cultural humility in service of equitable practices uh, and co-creation. I, I think that that's brilliant. Uh, Shamari, what about from your perspective and your lessons learned and experience and expertise? I got a lot of lessons learned. I've been in this role for six years. And so there's a continuum of lessons that continue to allow me to grow. And the work, I'd say, at the very top of that list of lessons learned is please involve your stakeholders first. You know, we want to do a lot of things. We want to change everything. But if we're not including them and we're not adding their voices to the conversation, then we're really just doing it to them. Right. And so you need to step away from the doing it to people and let them help us to decide upon what to do. I think it's powerful to ensure that you have a framework uh, in order to push the work for a framework timeline. I know that is rooted in white normative culture. However, you know, this particular subject matter is one that if you begin to get comfortable in the, in the small success, you don't look at the, the ultimate bigger picture. So framework and, you know, I'm not 100% saying that you have to have someone dedicated to the title, but you need to have some one or some ones dedicated to the initiative as a whole. So it doesn't get muddled into all the other crisis circumstances and situations that tend to pop up amidst the normal school year. One big one for me, and I'm this is this is something that helps we like uh, people like Diana and I in these types of roles become more successful. I think our organization's leadership, whether it be superintendent, school board, cabinet, whomever, must set an intention for the district. They need to let people know what's going to happen. They need to know who is going to be leading the effort to ensure that it happens, and they need to know how we're going to check in and check up to make sure we're heading in that direction. Study data. You know, we have a lot of it. We have to report it to the states and the feds. And so let's look at the trends of our data. If you don't have someone in your organization who has expertise in rolling up data and analyzing data, then work with a consultant to ensure that you can tell the story around what your data is telling you. And then last, make sure that there is an investigation. Again, I said this earlier, a policy training and expected outcomes for individuals. I think that that is going to go a long way and 
uh, ensure that your district is leading the charge towards that evolutionary change? It's interesting because both of you really hit on some of the best practices that are associated with change management, but you're talking about that through the lens of, of equity. And <laughs> I'm, I'm sure your experiences have probably, you probably had some bumps and bruises along the way. So thanks for, thanks yeah. for sharing that. So what do you say to administrators who are interested in making changes? Because so many leaders are interested and engaged, but they don't know where to start. Uh, Shamari, you, you were an, an early adopter of this. Where did you start? You know, one of the things that I started when I began this job in having leadership do, and especially members on the cabinet do, is investigate your interpersonal, your own personal why. Why are you interested in this body of work now? You know, there are some who might say I'm not, you know, and that's a different challenge and something else for me to focus on. But like investigating your why, what did you see? What did you learn? What did you hear? What did you read? You know, what's bringing you to this place? And I want you to set an intention. Like, what is your specific goal that's uh, measurable, that's achievable, that uh, you could be held accountable to within this particular school year or year? Um, You know, set an intention, set a goal, and find an accountability partner. Uh, I think that's going to make a big difference if you find yourself beholden to someone watching or supporting or expecting you to do a particular thing. Um, It's going to be most important uh, that you succeed at that thing so that we can get you to the next potentially larger goal that you'll set either for yourself or that you can begin to set with teams of people that you work with or work for. That's. I think that's a great place to start. Diana, you have a lot of responsibilities and not a lot of manpower to do that or woman power to do that where where do you start and how would you coach people on where to start you know similar to shmari i'm not quite six years i'm four years into this role and and really came from a generalist background that you know i was a site a site leader and in charge of schools so i really had that general so this was my first opportunity to really become a a, a quote specialist in in a particular area, and I always thought I was an equity leader. And you know, what, I just started my lifelong learning. I started reading books um, around equity. There's and especially now, while many of them are sold out, but there's so many um, books available, and and just started learning, taking classes, whether it was AXA Equity Institute or courageous conversations or compassionate dialogue. I, I just started jumping in wherever I felt like, oh, well, there's a gap. Well, there's a gap I have. And, um, and, and I think it, you, you, be, you start getting comfortable with your own discomfort and being able to sit in situations knowing that you might not be the expert and you have something more to learn in an area, I think is so key. So also that inter, the interpersonal, I I think that is an area that we really need to focus on is how do we have conversations around race and around racism and about anti-racist practices without feeling defensive or taking it personally and and getting comfortable with that discomfort and and being able to have dialogue because I think it's having that dialogue 
among all stakeholders is what's really going to propel this work. Yeah, I, and we really ap- applaud you and appreciate you for being so courageous. And and I want to uh, continue down that vein of conversation, Diana. As a white woman, how has being an equity leader in your district changed your perspective on race and meeting the needs of students? I I I'm going to go back to cultural humility, right? I I have had to face my own cultural humility. I think, you know, through my learning and then reflecting on who I was as a leader, and I always thought I was, you know, an equity leader as a principal throughout my 20 years of being a principal. And now that I know what I know now, I, I could have been better back then, right? So just always... I think reflection in our practices, not taking on guilt or um, just using it to, okay, now I've learned that lesson and continue to have to understand that mistakes are truly just opportunities to continue to learn and and to move forward and to and to grow. I think another key in, in this work is that it's okay to be a rebel leader. I, I think directors of equity are charged with a role of disrupting the status quo. And, and it's important if you're truly going to disrupt the status quo, you have to understand the, the engagement of being a rebel leader and still keeping everybody on board as you're disrupting. And then I think finally, there have been times, and Shamari might feel the same way, where it just seemed like everyone was saying, what, how did it feel? Everybody was against me, or it just like I had those days or those weeks where it just seemed like I was doing nothing right. And I think you just have to stay true to your purpose and just never give up. And when you don't give up, you see the fruits of your labor with time. Shamari, Um, yeah, I was going to kick that over to you because I'd love to hear your insight on that. And I want to go back because I think Diana just like underscored and put an exclamation point on something I wanted to add to the last question, uh, which is where administrators can start. But thinking about everything that she just said that she does, you know, as a white woman to ensure that she's in alignment with the effort that she's seeking to put forth. I just think it's really powerful uh, to do the research on not just the problem, but the history of that problem. Yep. You know, uh, I think it's very important to build alliance and allegiance to individuals who sit firmly within that experience that is furthest from justice and listen. You know, you have to take in and take and take advantage of opportunities uh, to grow your own self and not be the solution that may not be the solution for the people you're seeking to serve. So uh, I thought that was a very powerful statement. I'm glad that you uh, underscored that for me, Diana. Thank you. Yeah. Rebel leader. That's, that's the phrase I'm taking out of that. I love yeah, it. I think maybe to add to uh, Diana's statement about a rebel leader, this position will never be one that is loved. I, I believe that, you know, oftentimes in spaces, especially nowadays, since equity is so hyper-popularized, People feel some level of compelled to have a position to handle the minimalist of problems, but not necessarily one that is intended to disrupt the normalcy of the way the system operates. Right. And so 
uh, leaders do have to be rebellious. They do have to have persistence and perseverance. I've had entire communities who've come for me because I wanted to do things that were outside the scope of norm that they thought would negatively impact them, but in actuality was purely intended to give people an equitable opportunity towards thrival. Um, And it's uh, a tough gig, man, but that's what we're here for. And that's why we do that in order to be the change that people need us to be. So how did you do that? How did you reach people who may not feel like this is an issue that is going to impact them or is going to negatively impact them or they don't see it's a problem? How do you how do you reach those people? I don't know that you do, Jason. You know, I think that we're not here for the work of appeasing the all and the whole. Like I'm here to ensure that I am working in service of those who have been historically outside of the norm, successful uh, in this education plight. And there are going to be some people that do not come along with us on this journey, you know, and depending on who those people are, if those people are staff, then we need to find ways to ensure that we tell them that we are appreciative of your service, but this district might not work for you. And if they are, you know, families, it's not normally the group of people that we're here to serve. We try our best to ensure that a family has what they need in order to uh, succeed in our system. But that family may not be in alignment with our policy, and that's okay. We're here to serve these children. you know. And then uh, third, our obligation is to transform the understanding of children you know, and students that we uh, have in our system. And so uh, we just have to continue to transform curriculum, to introduce courageous conversations, to Uh, do things in a much more great uh, Socratic way with the inclusion of voices that haven't been there for kids to have the proper discourse to be able to grow and be prepared for the world they're entering. Well, I'm I'm glad you're on the side of, of, of students and I'm glad you're an advocate for that. If each of you had one final word of wisdom for other education leaders who are seek, seeking equitable solutions, what would that be? Diana, do you want to start off? I I say this in leadership meetings day in and day out. We, especially when I look at my, my district's leadership team and I'm looking at white faces, we, they need to get comfortable being in discomfort and, and being a, a part of the team that is disrupting the status quo. I feel like I'm starting to repeat myself, but I apologize for that. No, I I think we have to repeat ourselves. It's a message we've got to repeat over and over uh, in order to get it across. So Shamari, from your expertise and experience, any final words of wisdom for other education leaders? I think that, okay, so it's interesting. I have uh, opportunities from time to time to show up in different spaces, conferences, different cities and states, different places where I have a platform or a voice and to see and experience so many school districts. I almost always have people raise their hands to demonstrate whether or not their district has a movement that is to do this body of work, to provide you know vision and insight and transformation to those who uh, need us the most. And I'm always awestruck at how few districts there are across our country um, that are really engaging in this body of work. And so the one thing I would leave with is that it is super important to start. You know, you don't have to hire an administrative position for uh, equity. You don't have to uh, create 
this giant magnitude and body of work in order to um, uh, even just begin the initial step of self-investigation and setting an intention, right? Self-investigation and setting an intention, you know, and hold yourself accountable by ensuring that others are holding you accountable. That's the way we get the ball rolling. We've got to get every single person to investigate their hearts and their minds uh, and begin to move towards equity for all. Uh, I think you have both clearly illuminated that the, the work is hard, but it's also worth it. And both of you have also demonstrated that you are courageous, fearless, determined, compassionate rebels. Um, I, I really do want to thank you for your insight today. And thank you for having these uncomfortable and courageous conversations, because I do think that it is, it's worth it. And all of us will benefit from that. So thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Jason. you so much. Thank you, Diana. Yes. Thank all you, right. Shamari. I know. Y'all are the one doing really great hard work out there. So we truly appreciate your time in addressing these important challenges and helping helping to broaden the perspective and continue the conversation. And we believe that we can only make real and lasting change if we take the time to listen and understand. So we're grateful to both of you for everything that you're doing. And we look forward to talking with you again very soon. Thank you again for your time today. If you're enjoying our podcast, we would love it if you could take just a minute of your time and share your feedback on our show by providing a review on either Spotify, iTunes, or whatever platform you're listening on. And please reach out to us with questions or comments at info at opportunitythrives.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and we will see you next time.